Welcome to Coaching the Whole Educator, the podcast that helps instructional coaches, teacher leaders, and school leaders. I'm Becca, former educator and school coach turned transformational coach of coaches. I'm on a mission to help you improve your educators' effectiveness and resilience, especially the ones who need it most. Each week, we'll cover quick tips, strategies, and coaching mindsets so that you can be on top of your coaching game. Are you ready? Let's dive in. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Coaches, we know it might seem like a hassle to gather classroom observation data and be present during a teacher's lesson. What would it be like if that was done for you? The ability to see trends in student talk versus teacher talk, high quality questioning, wait time, and even grade level academic vocabulary could make a big difference in upgrading the quality of instruction. Sydney has recently upgraded its coaching platform to include all of these capabilities using AI technology. All you have to do is capture video or audio of the lesson using your phone and Sydney does the rest. How cool is that? And one of the things I love the most about Sydney is that it stays all confidential on the platform. Visit sydney.com front slash TWE for your free trial or click the link in the show notes. Hello, 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 coaches and leaders. I am so excited because Eduardo Persenio is on. He is an author of a new book that I have read and loved, and I'm excited for him to share everything he knows with you. It's called The Performance Paradox. So before we jump in, first of all, Eduardo, I wanted to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Becca. It's great to be here. I'd love you to share what what has been your journey um, professionally uh, within education and leadership. And I know you've done a ton with growth mindset. Sure. I grew up in Venezuela. I ended up kind of studying engineering and finance undergrad. And I worked in business and investment banking and venture capital. And after a few years, I felt empty. I felt that I was lacking a sense of purpose. I went to grad school in search of something that, that I really could feel like I was making each day count and I was making a difference in other people's lives. And I was introduced to Carol Dweck and she was looking for somebody with a business background to bring kind of growth mindset out into the world and into schools. She had recently published uh, her book, Mindset. This was in 2007. And so we co-founded an organization, Mindset Works, that uh, I led for 10 years with my partner, Lisa Blackwell. And, you know, Mindset Works um, serves schools and, and, and supports teachers and students with professional development and curriculum around building cultures of learning or growth mindset cultures. I ended up doing a, a TEDx talk um, that Carol was asked to do and she couldn't do. So we decided I would do. And that was a very, very, very far out of my comfort zone. But I worked really hard to do that. And that started spreading and I started being asked to do more public speaking. So, and so eventually that became my full-time job and that's what I do now. I, I do kind of keynotes and workshops around growth mindset, a lot for, for business leaders because I have a business background and now businesses are interested in building cultures of learning. Uh, so, but I also, you know, work with school districts and other organizations. And I recently published this book that, that you mentioned, The Performance Paradox. So that was a new journey too and something also unexpected and that, you know, I never thought I would be writing a book, but uh, I'm very proud and it was a lot of hard work, but very worthwhile. No, I love that. All right. So the performance paradox, can you give like a little summary about 
like, you know, what it covers. Yeah. So the perform the concept, the performance paradox is the counterintuitive reality that if you focus only on performing, your performance suffers. And that's, you know, we think that if in order to increase our achievement, we just need to perform more, more hours, work harder. But actually, there's a lot of research that shows that that's not the case. In order to increase our skills and increase our performance, we have to do something different than perform. And so if, if you look at, for example, a very skilled person like an athlete, what they do when they're performing in a match is very different than what they do outside of the match when they're focused on improvement. They might, for example, in the match, they might avoid certain moves that are that they that are not comfortable for them. But outside of the match, they might exactly be working on those moves. And that's a very different activity. We so we don't we don't get great at something by doing the thing for many, many hours, but by doing something different than the thing. And okay. there's research, whether it's, you know, in medicine or in other professions that experience, this shows that experience is different than expertise. So we can have lots of years of experience and not have a ton of skill if we haven't habituated and systematized a way to, to deliberately improve. And so the performance paradox, the book is, the first chapter one is about that issue. And then the mm -hmm. rest of the chapters is about how to overcome the issue and the way to overcome it is to habituate and systematize the learning zone because both the performance zone is really important uh, that's how we get things done that's how we contribute the performance zone is when we're focused on doing things and and getting things accomplished but the learning zone is critical to improve our skills and to increase our performance and we can either do one or the other like sometimes mm -hmm. we might be focused only on performing sometimes we might be focused only on improvement but we, most of the day we can actually be doing both at the same time Okay. So I want to dive a little deeper into performance zone and learning zone. I love that you brought it right to there because I, I love that language and that is language I've started incorporating into my my coaching uh, with, with coaches and leaders. So can you describe the behaviors? I think one of my favorite things is, is the focus, uh, kind of main goal of each zone, performance and learning zone, and, and the, beha the associated behaviors um, of each zone? Can you give the distinction between the two? Sure. sure. So in the performance zone, our goal is to get things done as best as we know how, trying to minimize mistakes. And in the learning zone, our focus is to, our goal is to improve. And so we have to go beyond the known or beyond what we have already mastered, which means that we have to expect to not do things perfectly. We have to expect to have errors and to make mistakes along the way. There's lots of different learning strategies that we can use, right? It could be, um, asking a question that we don't know the answer to. That's a behavior. That's an example of the learning zone. It can be examining a mistake because we don't, when we make a mistake, we don't learn unless we reflect or discuss the mistake. So we don't learn from mistakes. We learn from reflecting on mistakes. We don't learn from experiences. We learn from reflecting on experiences. So that reflection and discussion is an example of a behavior. Um, it might be soliciting feedback. It's very, very powerful. So if I am a teacher, right, I, I could, if, if I have a resource like a peer or a coach that can give me feedback, I can ask that person to go into my room and say, hey, 
I would love for you to observe me and give me feedback, or you can be more specific. I would love for you to observe me and I'm having trouble with this particular aspect of what I'm trying to do. I would love your ideas and your feedback. So that soliciting of feedback is an example of a learning zone activity, experimenting. So, you know, whether you're listening to, to your podcast, Becca, and getting ideas, you might, you know, a teacher or a coach might think, okay, like, here's something I don't do. I might experiment and try that. So let me try it and see what happens. And if we don't change, we can't improve. That's why growth mindset is so important. Um, uh, and so those are examples, but they all involve leaping beyond the known. Hmm. I want to highlight something you said within all this. This is this gold, what you just said. Um, you, you said, we don't learn from mistakes. We learn from reflecting on mistakes because that is so poignant. And and you also, you followed up with, we learn from reflecting on mistakes. We learn from reflecting on experiences and how important is it that the coaches and leaders listening here to take time for reflection. It doesn't matter if a teacher is practicing the thing that you're asking them to practice. Um, they have to reflect on it, right? To evaluate how did I do? What worked? What didn't work? What am I going to do different next time? Yeah. And that's part of the value of coaching, right? You are creating a structure for the teacher to reflect with somebody else, which is super valuable, but the reflection is, is necessary. And then ideally as coaches, we help them also get into the habit of reflection on their own too. Okay. So that is the learning zone. And I love how you created the learning zone. What is the performance zone? The performance zone is when we are trying to do things as best as we know how, trying to accomplish something, trying to um, do something as best as we can. And, and a great performance involves few or little mistakes. So mm -hmm. when, when something, when the stakes are high and we want to, there are times where we want to just try to minimize mistakes and try to get as high a performance as possible. So a high stakes exam, for example, might be something where a student, it might be reasonable, it would, may, it would be appropriate for them to get into their performance zone, right? And of course, we're all human. We make mistakes, even the performance zone. So after a performance, we can go back and think about what went well, but what, what didn't go well, what can I do differently going forward? So we can alternate after the performance zone, we can go back into our learning zone and reflect on our performance so that we okay. can improve for the next performance. But but in the, the, the issue in our work and lives and in school is that we are often too much in the performance zone, right? So we if we are grading and, and putting a letter and a number on all student work, it sends the message that school is a performance zone. It's a place to show what you know, rather than to work on what you don't know and get, and get confused and ask questions and grapple with something that you, you can't do yet. Uh, and so we need to be clear, I think, about most of the time we're in the learning zone. If we are getting 100, we're working on the wrong thing. We need to increase the level of challenge. Um, and then there are times to show and to make sure that we have learned what we think we've learned. And so those are the summative assessments. And there's a time for the performance zone, but most of the time on school should be in the learning zone. For I students. agree. Yes, yes. And for teachers. And for right? teachers, absolutely. So for teachers, the same thing, right? It's like in, in, and in all professions, we tend to spend too much time in the performance zone. And that includes teachers and the stakes are high, right? Because we want to do what's best for kids. But the thing is that if we're only always doing what we think works best and we're not being deliberate about how to continue to get better, then 
we stagnate and our, our kids suffer. So we, that's the paradox, right? So I'm thinking about the the folks listening to this podcast and a lot of them work directly with teachers. Um, and I imagine a lot of them do classroom observations. How would you presence that we are in the learning zone? What would you say to someone to let them know we're in the learning zone? I don't want a dog and pony show. Right. Um, great question. I, I would love your thoughts too, for sure. But what comes to my mind is it's really important to set the stage and to to get on the same page, right? To frame what what is it that we're going to be doing while I'm going into your classroom and observing and why am I here and how can we best use this time? If we're not, if we don't make our implicit assumptions about what time that time is explicit so that we get on the same page, then the teacher might have a different idea of why we're there. And so they might get into their performance zone and get into a dog and tony, pony show, like you're saying. And so, and there are times where people go into teachers' classrooms to evaluate, right? And 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 it has high stakes for them, consequences. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the teacher should be in their performance zone. Like if they're if they're being evaluated, anytime that a, whether it's a student or a teacher is being evaluated, they're gonna go into their performance zone if there's high stakes. And so we need to be clear about, okay, when is it that somebody's coming into your classroom to evaluate you? And when is it that somebody's coming into your classroom to support you, to continue to improve like everybody can, even the best teachers work to continue to improve. Um, And so this time I'm a coach, I am here to support you and to help you continue to reflect and to continue to get better and to continue to better serve your students. Um, And so what I would love for you to do is to work on things that you're not sure about. And then this is a time where you have a coach in the room observing and that way we can brainstorm and think together later as opposed to doing something that you already know how to do well but it's like here's my idea of what this time is what do you think do you have any concerns are we in the same page so you're giving people the the opportunity also to express and and so you get into a conversation to actually you know get on the same page and create what's called psychological safety which is Mm -hmm. when people feel free to take risks they they feel safe to take risks but also not just safe but encouraged right like we we want to be taking risks together and to be working to deliver improve but i love your thoughts on on the topic becca okay before i share my thoughts i want to touch on psychological safety i love psychological safety i in the, well i mean the concept but i i amy edmondson who is i'm like a fan girl of hers uh who who seems to be the the biggest name she, i'm sure she's not the only researcher in psychological safety but um naming so um J- jen machen and i and and you know who's also a colleague of of yours uh in mindset works we were talking about recently Growth mindset, operating under growth mindset actually requires some vulnerability, right? You can't have, you can't be operating under a growth mindset um, with someone and not have vulnerability. They don't, they, they have to go together, right? And so if I'm showing up vulnerably, right, and doing like the messy risk-taking thing, the person I'm working with has to provide psychological safety or intellectual safety, right? The idea like, it is safe for me to mess up, criticize, question, um, and I and I won't be blamed, shamed, embarrassed, right? So I w- I wanted to like presence that around psychological safety and and not let let that moment go by. Okay, so what are my thoughts? This is this is my thoughts around I. I would sit down if I was coaching a teacher. I would sit down and I, especially if I was shifting intentionally shifting. Um, towards, you know, learning zone 
coaching, right? And I would say, well, I would have a pre-conference and I would say, hey, I'm coming in Tuesday, 8.30, can't wait. What are some things that you are working on that you want me to watch out for? How do you want to improve? And I think it's similar to what you said, but really like you tell me what to look for that you're working on, right? Um, and it's, it's I, I, I have said that to teachers before. And it's funny, about a third of them tend to be like really excellent at it. And so it takes me coming back and say, hey, seems like you're really good at that. <laughs> or you've been working on it and you did a great job, great job. Next time I come in, what's a new thing you're working on? Um, cause I, you know, when, when we shift, if, if we've mainly been in performance zone and my relationship with the teachers, I'm coming in to observe and, you know, the expectation is that it goes well, um, it's going to take, I, I would assume a few times for our, our brains to assess, is this safe for me to mess up? Right. So it's, it's just being willing to go back over and over again and be patient with, saying, hey, we're in the, we're actually in the learning zone right now. And it is totally safe. And I want you to be growing, right? And I'm committed to your growth and not perfection in these times. Absolutely. I I totally uh, love that. I agree with that. And to your point, you know, psychological safety is built um, over time. It is, Mm -hmm. it is a property of, um, as Amy Edmondson has has discovered, it's a property of teams, right? Not of an organization. You want to build organizations that 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 have a lot of psychological safety, but in organizations, usually the level of psychological safety varies by team because it's it's about relationships, it's about the people you work with closely, the people you know, the people you collaborate with, and what is your understanding with those people. And so to your point, if I'm your coach, between the two of us, we can create safety, even if the teacher doesn't feel safe with other people or other people in the organization or structures in the organization. And at the beginning, it, it always takes vulnerability, and I agree with you completely, but we can also get to a point where we can be transparent without feeling as vulnerable. Because I understand that if I take a risk or if I talk about what I'm unsure about or I show something that I feel I'm not great at, um, you, I'm not going to be punished, but rather you're going to be admiring that mm-hmm. I'm doing that and you're going to mm-hmm. providing support to me and you're going to be doing the same thing. And so now I can be transparent and be just honest with you. And not feel vulnerable in the sense of not feel open to harm, but still be very transparent. I love, I actually really love how you, you said, you know, the goal actually is that we're operating under a growth mindset, that we have enough psychological safety, that we don't, it doesn't feel vulnerable anymore. That's the goal. That's really great. Thank you. You're shifting my, my thinking. Another part of your book that I loved was your growth mindset myths. I don't often do this, but I, I would love the listeners to at least hear these myths. They're one sentence each. Misconception number one or myth number one uh, is a growth mindset is the same as positive thinking, working hard or persevering, and it magically fosters growth. That's the misconception. Reality number one is a growth mindset is the belief that our abilities and qualities can change if we engage in the learning zone. I, this is so great. I think there's six of them, right? Yeah. I'm wondering... Um, what what are what, 
What's one other favorite misconception that you love sharing that you think makes a really big difference and would make a really big difference for coaches and leaders to hear? Well, one is that growth mindset also has been kind of distorted to mean that the kids need, the students, the kids need to have a growth mindset. And that's what the growth mindset work is about. It's about, um, you know, if a student is struggling, their problem is their mindset. And, and you know, A, we, we just need to put them in a growth mindset or, you know, it, it, and and so the we the 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 students need great instruction right and they need an environment where adults you know we are working to grow ourselves and to better support students and to better teach students and so we need to be in a growth mindset about ourselves and think about okay if, if a student is struggling or even if they're doing well like how can i continue to get better to better support that student and help them grow um and and also it, a growth mindset is not um, a silver bullet. So it's necessary, but not sufficient. In addition to believing that we can improve, like a, a student might needs to believe that they can improve and they can become smarter, but they also need to understand how to improve. Something when you were CEO of Mindset Works, something you did that I loved and always stayed with me was uh, we would, after, after you would do a, a speech or professional development and other team members were there with you on the call with the whole staff, you would say, I'd love feedback. Who, those of you that were there, um, I, I'd, I'd love feedback on how I did. And you would get like public feedback on how you did, right? You're the CEO and you're asking for public feedback. And I, I always, I was like, I've, I've never seen any, any leader do that. And, uh, I, I just thought like you were absolutely living your own growth mindset? Well, you know, if, as leaders, people are looking to us as to what's valued in the organization. Mm -hmm. And so if we value learning and improvement and we believe everybody can continue to improve, which is what a growth mindset means, you know, we need to behave like that. And, and plus the benefit of that is that I learn more and I grow more. And you know, I actually do that in often in in keynotes when I'm you know I'm speaking with people that I don't know at the end when I'm doing live polling. If we have time at the end, I ask two questions for feedback, and so we see that we see the live polls right there in terms of how how the session went and how I can improve. And I'm making the I'm a I'm learning, but b I'm making soliciting feedback normalized right mm -hmm. i make it something that is easy to do it can be quick and it can be so valuable um and and the, the there's there's something that that is kind of i talk in the book is called um the um the the flywheel of competence which is that those things are easier to do when we feel competent right when we feel like we do a good job at things it is easier to solicit feedback because people will like be able to say i appreciated this thing that you did that worked well and here's how you can improve when we are less confident when we're just starting started we feel like we're, we're not good at what we do then it might feel more risky and more vulnerable to ask for feedback there might be a lot of negative things that people might say uh, and that's a paradox right it's it's it, it is harder to get started into those habits because we don't have the confidence but those 
are the strategies that enable us to get better. And then once we get better, then it's easier to take on those behaviors to continue to get even better, right? And so it's hard to start the, the, the wheel turning, but once you start building these habits, it's easier and easier to continue turning the, the wheel and to continue doing it more publicly and with more brains around you. And that just keeps the wheel turning faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And something Brene Brown says is your know, daring leadership requires vulnerability. Right. And, and to, to, that's where the vulnerability comes in. Something I, you know, as you were talking, it really occurred to me when, when you were asking for feedback, it, for me, it felt like we're all on the same team. Like, even though positionally, right. You had positional power. Um, it felt like, oh, he's on the same team as me. So to address even if there's a context where it's kind of us versus them to address that first to make it psychologically safe to for leaders and coaches, you go first, you ask for feedback first, right? To model that learning zone right there. It's worth the work. Yeah, but also I think it creates that feeling of we, of us being mm-hmm. the same team, the same in-group, because Part of like uh, the main job for me as a leader is to support, you know, the people in the organization so that they can do their job and we can, we can have the impact that we want. Well, this has, time has flown (laughs) and this has been such an incredible conversation. I highly recommend everyone listening to this to read Performance Paradox. I will put a link to purchasing the book in uh, the show notes. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. Um, If those listening would like to contact you, where can they find you? Sure. My website is briseno.com. It's my last name, B-R-I-C-E-N-O. have a monthly newsletter there. Um, And I'm on LinkedIn as well uh, and, you know, other social media. So happy to, uh, and my email is eduardo at briseno.com. Happy to, uh, to connect with anybody. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Becca. Great to see you. And thanks for the important work. Yeah, thanks. One of the things I always share with my coaches and leaders is that if someone is stuck in changing their behavior, we want to look at three things. Are they needing support in knowledge, skills, or mindsets? If the answer is that they need a shift in mindsets or support in shifting their mindset, you might need some training to do that please reach out to The Whole Educator. We have The Whole Educator Academy that ushers you through the process to understand how to authentically shift mindsets. We will put the information in the show notes. And until next time, just remember, don't treat people the way you want to be treated. Treat them how they want to be treated. Take care.